0: tonight's um, Bible reading is from Genesis chapter 1, so that's nice and easy to find. Um, And the way we're doing it tonight, we're trying to sort of represent the triune God at work in the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said,
1: Let there be light.
0: And there was light. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said,
1: Let the water teem with
2: living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky.
0: And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen.
2: Thank you very much, Karen. Thank you to the team. Everybody here has heard of C.S. Lewis, uh, born literally a stone's throw away from our building here. Many of you will know about the Narnia stories, and uh, you will know that uh, it's often said uh, that it was always winter, never Christmas. Maybe that's how it feels tonight. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is probably his best known of the stories, and many of you have seen it on the film. Maybe some of you have felt, I would like to read that, but I've never had the opportunity. Well, tonight is the opportunity for the first person who puts their hand in the air. Who would like the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Okay, there we go. Ruth, it is yours, and uh, as usual, uh, when you have finished with it, would you be good enough to pass it on to somebody else? And I hope you're able to enjoy that very much indeed. Now, if you happen to have uh, uh, page three uh, easily available for you uh, in the Pew Bibles, um, We're beginning a new series tonight and for the new year, which is entitled The Story That Makes Sense of Our Story. And we're going to be looking uh, between now and Easter at the early chapters of the book of Genesis. That's chapters 1 through to 11, which theologians have described as the foundation of our understanding of the world, where we came from, why we are here, where we are going, what it means to be human why there is such awful evil in the midst of such amazing beauty, uh, how human societies can rise and flourish and then just as easily rot and diminish. In C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian, in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan the Lion said, You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. That is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar, and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. You do know that the Bible is divided into two parts, not the Old Testament and the New Testament as we often suppose, but Genesis chapters 1 through to 11 And then the rest of the scriptures. Because unless we grasp these early chapters of Genesis, we will fail to understand anything else that is happening in the rest of this great book that we call the Bible. Have you ever gone into the cinema just a bit late and uh, all the chief characters have been introduced? Uh, the first few minutes have happened and, and you find yourself sitting there and thinking, what is going on here? And that destroys our enjoyment of the rest of the movie. Well, that's why we want to revisit Genesis 1 through to 11 in order to grasp, again, the fundamental elements of our faith. And tonight in particular, chapter 1, verse 1 through to chapter 2, verse 3. Let's just pray together. Gracious God, you spoke and things came into being. You spoke and light came out of darkness. You simply said a word and order came out of chaos. Please might you do the same in our dark and chaotic circumstances so that ordered by your word, we might better become godly and like Jesus and live lives of beauty and order and rest. And what we pray is for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, before we progress too far, I wonder if you'll be good enough to interact with me for just a few moments and tell me... Uh, when Genesis chapter one is mentioned, what are the first things, generally, that non-Christians or unbelievers suppose it's really all about? An apple, An apple Thank you. That's good. No. Anything else? A myth? Creation? Okay. A lot of people immediately don't believe it. I mean, even before approaching it. Okay. Those are the sorts of things that people come in their minds. And, And generally, they do so with those things in mind. One, because they haven't a clue what the literature is about. And secondly, they are projecting onto the text questions that are quite inappropriate for what it is intended to teach. So, for example, anybody who knows anything will realize that Genesis chapter 1 is not a scientific text. And therefore, to ask scientific questions of Genesis 1 is as foolish as somebody taking the metaphors and similes of poetry as literal. So when Rabbi Burns wrote those immortal lines, my love is like a red, red rose. What was he saying? (laughs) Well, for anybody who appreciates poetry, it's a beautiful picture of beauty, its compliments, its fragrance. And it would be very sad then if on receiving that poem through the post on Valentine's Day, the bard's sweetheart takes offence at being described as both ruddy and prickly. My wife has a big, bright, red, crimson face with spikes coming out of her ears. Well, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? Because the poet is using language that is designed to point to a deeper meaning Than ordinary words can adequately describe. And and if we can use a similar sort of analogy here with Genesis 1 through to 11, I think it will be helpful. When most people around approach the text asking how questions, how did things come about, Genesis chapter 1 is actually concerned with something altogether different, arguably far more significant. It's consumed with the who question. Who is this one who made this incredible cosmos? And so that brings us directly to the text, which you can find on page three. And thank you, Barbara, and thank you to the team for reading it so very effectively. Just as a matter of interest, um, um, when it was read to us in this way, was there anything that you... Struck you about the text that you maybe hadn't seen before? Anything interesting just the way it was done?
1: The three voices at the end,
2: blended into one voice. The three elements certainly came together. It was very powerful, wasn't it? Yeah. Thank you. The authority of God's voice. The authority of God's voice. Did you notice the symmetry? Did you notice the, the repetition? That happened uh, with each day and so on. We'll, we'll come back to some of those things in a moment. But if Genesis then Genesis one isn't all about things like the Big Bang theory, and if it's not about evolution, what is it about? And the answer is found very plainly, very clearly in verse one: "In the beginning, God." So, surprise, surprise! Genesis one isn't primarily about me, it isn't primarily even about my questions, but it is first and foremost about God and his issues. In fact, if we were simply to count how many times God is mentioned in uh, Genesis 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 3, from the start of creation to its completion, you will find that it is Thirty-five times. Now why is that significant? Well, seven by seven is thirty-five. Seven is the perfect number, yes. Okay. So seven by seven is thirty-five. Chapter one, verse one. Is seven by seven by seven. Is that right? Seven fives. Seven fives are are 35. That's right. Now, look at chapter 1, verse 1. In the the Hebrew, chapter chapter 1, verse 1 has seven words. Chapter 1, verse 2 has 14 words. That's seven by two. And chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, has 35 words. So, what what we see immediately from the the words that are used in in the original language is that what was written here was not simply thrown together by accident. Um, Here we have very carefully constructed and deliberately and definitely put together words in a specific order. And I wonder what that's trying to tell us. So, in the beginning, God. That's the first thing we see. And God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, The original text, which being translated, literally means creator creates creation. So, do we want to know what Genesis 1 is about? Well, it's creator creates creation. Deliberately, carefully, thoughtfully, with design, with purpose, not randomly, not happily. unhazardly. All right? Well, before we go on any further, I wonder if you'll cast your eye down the first few verses of the chapter. And since we've now determined that it's all about God, because that's what it tells us in verse 1, can you shout out to me some of the various characteristics or the attributes about God that we can see from the text? Start at verse verse 1. Uh, what do we see there in verse 1 about God? What can we discern about God? Creator. He is creator, that's good. In the beginning, God. So, what does that tell us about God? <laughs> God was pre existent. So, before anything was made, God predated it. Good. Anything else? Verse 2 God is spirit. Isn't that interesting? And what did God do in verse 2? He brought order out of chaos. What else can we see in verse 2? We can see that God isn't the same as creation. Rather, he is distinct from creation. Verse 3, what did God do? He spoke, and when God spoke, what happened? Things happened. He said, let there be light, and there was light. When God spoke, good things happened, verse 4. And in verse 5, we see that God gave us creation names. Now, that's just the opening verses here, and already we can see a huge lot of the chief characteristic of this chapter we've seen what God is like, and we also see what he is not like. Already in this brief verse of analysis, we can see that God is separate from and distinct from the things he has made. Everything he has done is good. If we were to turn it around the other way, we could say this, the God we worship today is not the same as creation. He's not evil. He's not capricious. He's not selfish. Rather, he is generous. He is a God of order. He is a God of beauty and of life. Well, that's quite something, isn't it? And then to move on a little bit further, and this comes to our Bible reading uh, as it was done, we see that God is one, yes, and yet verse 2, he is also spirit. He's one, and yet verse 26, God said, let me make, (coughs) let us make man, Adam, in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Now, who is God speaking to? In this instance, he's not talking to creation, bringing it about. He's not talking to humankind either, because he hasn't made man yet. So is he talking to himself? If he is, is that not very strange? That must be very lonely for him. How very odd that is that God's speaking to himself. On this, of course, we turn over to another part of the scriptures in what we call the New Testament to the book of John. And this is very familiar if you were at the carol service just before Christmas. Page 1063, John chapter 1. And how does John chapter 1 begin? in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? In the beginning, John tells us, was the Word. Well, we know that because in Genesis 1, God spoke. He used words. And when he used words, things happened. They came about. And then do you see how John progresses? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Well, who is that? Who is that has become flesh? Well, verse 29, is it tells us, his name is Jesus. So, while God is indeed God, while God is indeed one, yet in Genesis 1, we discover that God is also spirit, and we discover that God is also the Word who became human. This God, then, that we encounter here in Genesis 1 is far more intriguing, far more complex, far more wonderful than we could ever think up or create in our own puny imaginations or even uh, create in, in in our wildest dreams. So, this is the God who's been revealed in the Scriptures of the Old and New Covenant. Now, there's just one other thing I'd love you to see about the text. I'm going do this very briefly before we draw our thoughts to some sort of conclusion. And it has to do with the account of the seven Days of creation. So, can you see that day one is highlighted in verses three to five? Let there be light. Then, day two is six through to eight. Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the sky and the sea. And then, day three is verses nine through to thirteen. Let there be dry land and the oceans. And then day four is verses 14 through to 19. Let there be lights, and God created the sun and the moon and the stars. Do, Do you see verse 16, by the way? God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And then verse uh, 20 to 23 is day 5. Let there be fish and birds. Then day 6, 24 through to 31. Let there be living creatures, wild animals, livestock, and male and female human beings. So humankind is part of the animal kingdom. And then by the seventh day, we're told that God finished the work he had been doing, and so he rested. And the seventh day when God rested is every bit as significant as days one through to six when God worked. Thus, the heavens and the earth in chapter 2, verse 1, were completed. And that's the same phrase as was in chapter 1, verse 1, the heavens and the earth. So, we've got this total completion. It's perfectly formed in its vast array. Uh, This last week, Robert and I were in an early reconstructed synagogue, and there we saw something I certainly had never seen before, but the synagogue is built on seven pillars, and they represent the seven days of creation in all its completeness, its, its perfection, Now, again, some people approaching Genesis 1 as some sort of textbook about the sequence of creation get a bit puzzled about this when they see, for example, that there was vegetation before there was the sun, and they ask, how is that the case? Although, interestingly enough, in the recent series of Blue Planet, uh, did you see the discovery of life forms called vent ecosystems in the depths of the sea? And they are not dependent uh, upon photosynthesis. It's, they are not dependent on life for light from the sun. They're dependent upon hydrogen sulfite. Um, but anyway, that's just by the by. Um, so look at day one. It, some people get worried, you see, that, that for example, uh, there was vegetation before the sun. And they say, you know, how, how does that happen? But, but I want you to, to, this is what I want you to know. Look at day one in which God creates light, verse three. Now glance over at day four when God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. So do you see the beautiful symmetry of day one and day four? There's light, and then there's the sun and the moon and the stars. Now look at day two when God creates the expanse of, that separates the waters above, that's the sky, with the waters below in the sea. That's day two. Glance over at day five when God creates the birds that fly in the sky and the fish that swim in the sea. So is that not amazing? Then look at day three. God creates the dry land and the plants. And then parallel that with day six when God creates the animals first and then people in his image to rule over the dry land and the creatures. So, even the way in which the days are structured here in Genesis 1, the account is designed to speak of this wonderful, perfect design, this beautiful symmetry, this perfect provision. Okay, so we've thought about all these ways in which Genesis 1 primarily tells us about God, what he's like. So in the last few moments that we have together, we might ask, so what? Uh, Let's make three concluding observations which are relevant for both life and faith. Number one is this. Creator creates creation. How do we know that? We know it not by human reasoning, but by divine revelation. (coughs) Now, that's hugely significant. In Psalm 19, King David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When you look up at the stars at night, when you contemplate the Milky Way, when you think about the galaxies beyond our galaxies, what person on planet Earth could reasonably say all that came about by chance? All that beauty, all that order, all that symmetry came about by random accident. That really would require faith. Uh, Yesterday I was listening to a piece of music on Classic FM and because I enjoyed it so much I wanted to wait till the end so I could discover who it was who had composed it. That symphony I was listening to wasn't a random collection of notes that somehow had been thrown up into the air and just happened to land upon the treble and bass lines to bring about a beautiful and glorious sound played by an entire orchestra of instruments. A symphony requires a composer. And so with creation. Creation demands a creator, an ordered creator, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Romans chapter 1 actually puts it even more starkly. Paul says there, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. And being understood from what has been made, men are without excuse For although they know God, they neither glorify him or give thanks to him. What an indictment. When we see the order of this created universe, for humankind either to ignore that that was God or to refuse to acknowledge that is a terrible indictment of humankind. I wonder if you remember in the New Testament, in Matthew 16, Peter confessed alone of the disciples that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? And do you remember after he did that what Jesus' reply was to him? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Simon Peter, you didn't come to this conclusion by your own human reasoning. You came to understand that through your Father in heaven. It was God who revealed that insight to Simon Peter. And that's why Genesis 1 through to 11 Doesn't fit with any other kind of literature because it goes far beyond what human beings could ever suppose or think about by their own devices or their own own insights. This is divine revelation that both corrects and shapes our human assumptions. And so, again, back to the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, and we're thinking again of Christmas. A virgin conceives and bears a son. Who ever thought up that as an idea? Well, God did. Or in Luke chapter 23, the Son of God is crucified and the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, opening up access between a holy God and sinful human beings. Who could have ever had that thought? or the idea that a dead man might come back from the dead or come again to restore everything that has been lost in Eden. Whose idea was that? certainly wasn't thought up by us. You couldn't. It's Revelation. Since Creator creates creation, Our God is beyond all human understanding. And yet, incredibly, amazingly, God has chosen to reveal himself, make himself known to the likes of puny you and insignificant me. So that's observation number one. God makes himself known in this. It's divine revelation And the second thing is this that Creator creates creation by speaking. In the beginning, God communicated through His Word. 2000 years ago, God continued to communicate through the Word made flesh. God continues to communicate to His people today. Through his written word, the Bible. And since in Genesis 1 God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, is it really a surprise then when God made flesh, spoke a word, and a blind man regained his sight? Is it a surprise when Jesus said a word and a demonically possessed man gained his equilibrium? Is it a surprise that when Jesus spoke a word, a dead man was raised to life? Is it a surprise when Jesus said a word, boys and girls and men and women had their sins forgiven? In his perfect way, in his perfect time, Christ Jesus, God's Messiah, did exactly the same kinds of things on earth that God at the beginning did to bring the cosmos into being. God spoke, and things happened. And thirdly and lastly, creator creates creation out of nothing. Humankind make things because women and men are created in the image of the Creator. And that's why Mary Berry makes beautiful cakes. And that's why Adam Frew makes beautiful bowls. And that's why architects and builders construct magnificent buildings because they've been made in the image of God. They have been made with a creative ability. But only God makes something out of nothing. Claire made a wonderful dinner today, but God had already provided the ingredients. Humankind make train tracks because God had already provided the iron ore. Human beings make beautiful rockets to go up into the sky, because God has already made a wonderful outer space to shoot out into. So out of nothing, God created something. Out of formlessness and void, God created something beautiful. Out of chaos and disorder, God created something sublime and supreme. And as the same God who is still able by the power of the Spirit to do miracles of grace in your life and in mine, in the circumstances and situations of our family and our friends to bring life and order and fruitfulness to hearts that are fractured and barren and vulnerable. And that's why this is the story that makes sense of our story, where we've come from, why we're here, where we're going. Or as Aslan said in Prince Caspian, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. That is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth creator creates creation oh, our god we bow before you father son and spirit creator of the heavens and the earth maker of all things seen and unseen And we bless you that in your might and majesty and power, everything you have done is good, is very good. And our gracious God, in spite of all our wretched sin and rebellion, you have deigned to make yourself known in the face of your Son, the lovely Lord Jesus, who in his life and in his death demonstrated how he was full of goodness and mercy, full of compassion and love, full of grace and truth. How we honour you. How we bless you. How we want to go from here seeking to live lives that speak well of you. And live well for you. Please Lord may this be. Our humble request. For the sake of Christ. Amen.
3: This morning for those of you who weren't here. The children were all gathered at the front. And uh, and James asked the kids, if you could get into a time machine, where would you like to go? And he asked them that in the context of all the Bible stories that they would have known. And the child sat at my feet and he put his hand up and he said, I would like to go back to the time when God created everything. And I thought, wow. Yeah, that's, I go with you. But that focused my thinking um, because when Karen asked me to to, to lead you in in, in prayers for others tonight, um, I thought that was a relatively easy thing to do. Um, When I heard Frank saying tonight, this morning, we were going to be focusing on the creation, it suddenly turned it all upside down and put everything into context because when you pray for other people and you pray for the world that we're in. Really, for me, I realized how insignificant and unable I was to do that tonight as I trawled through the news as to what was going on in our world, in our land, and in our church families. So I need your help tonight, and I'm going to do this a little bit differently. As we come to an attitude of prayer, I'm going to focus your minds on our world, and we're going to come in close to the world of Bloomfield and our own individual lives. And as always, when you focus on the world, there's a lot of gloom and doom out there, but it's right that we pray into that as well. But we have to be thankful and give thanks as well. So, if you want to come into an attitude of prayer at any stage as I talk to you, I'll give you some facts that might steer your thinking. And then we'll have a few minutes of silence. And maybe there's something that I've brought to your attention that stands out that you want to pray for, something that is desperate, that is tragic, or something you want to give thanks for. So with that in mind, uh, let me do my best to lead you. We heard tonight that this is your world, Lord, made by you. What a mess it's in. As we look at the situation between the United States and North Korea, and we listen to the madness that gets thrown between those two leaders, As we look at our own United Kingdom and it's only a pan opinion on my part, but we see weak government I feel helpless. And when we look at our own country and we see a lack of leadership. What hope is there for us? And we hear of wars. And we hear of famines. How privileged we are not to be at war. How privileged we are to have food in our stomachs. and the freedom we have to meet together here and to worship. Open Doors tell us that when persecution strikes, how does the Christian church respond? And it gives four things that the church has to do. The first one they call it, dive and survive. Go deep underground and keep clear of the persecutor. If you lived in Afghanistan and you were a Christian, that would be your only choice. The second is to register and submit. And if you were a Christian living in China today, that's what you would have to do if you wanted to meet and worship freely, but with certain conditions. The third is to flee and live. And if you lived in Somalia, that's what you would have to do if you wanted to live. And the fourth one is to stay and to die. And in North Korea, if that's where you live, that's what would happen to you on certain occasions, not just you but your family. And here in our family in Bloomfield, we're surrounded by sickness, and in some cases impending death. In my time here, I don't remember being as overwhelmed so much as now. there are those in need physical need, need of healing and their loved ones that watch on But, Father, we have so much to be thankful for. And it's right that we say thank you for many of the things that we have been given by you. I look around and I see my brothers and sisters. They're more than that. They're my friends. And I thank you for them. That's the family here in Bloomfield. And I look down and I see Tony and I see Rachel. And that's part of our family here in the community. (coughs) I give thanks for them. And the good news that often comes from down the road as they work with Mandy and the team in the kids club and in the homework club And Father, we give thanks for the work that Tony and Rachel and the team do down there for the community. Would you bless them? And before we close, maybe there are other things in your mind that you you want to give thanks for. So, Lord, forgive us when we look at the world you created and say, What a mess it's in. Because there's so much to be thankful for. There's so much beauty in your world. And your word reminds us God looked over everything he had made, it was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Heaven and earth were finished, down to the last detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it a holy day. Because on that day, he rested from his work. All the creating God had done. Father, hear our prayers. Amen.